Pleasure to bring in Rob Arnott with us this afternoon. Always enjoying we can speak with Mr. Arnott, the founder and chairman of the board at Research Affiliates, a, a co-portfolio manager for a couple of big PIMCO funds. Rob, pleasure to have you here on a Friday. Glad to be here. What's top of your mind right now? Are you thinking valuation compression that's been happening for months, fretting about interest rates, or are you cool as a cucumber with value stocks finally doing a little bit better than growth, Rob? Well, um, I rarely get stressed. So <laughs> it's probably pretty accurate, but um, uh, value underperformed for several years, bottoming out uh, end of August 2020, and has made a heck of a recovery. Um, but what's interesting is that entire drawdown was not due to uh, value companies doing worse. The entire drawdown was due to value stocks getting cheaper relative to their fundamentals. What does that mean? It means the spread in valuation between growth stocks and value stocks widened to the widest spread ever mm -hmm. um, using price to book value. It widened to 13 to 1 ratio between the pricing of growth stocks and the pricing of value stocks. On price to sale, it was sales. It was even wider than that. Wow. And uh, when you get valuation spreads that wide, the natural question is, did the market get it wrong or is value dead? Well, yeah. if the value stocks are simply getting cheaper but aren't underperforming as businesses, then the market get it, got it wrong. Right. So we had another tech bubble, basically, and it's in process of bursting now. Do we need any reasons, exogenous forces, Rob, whether geopolitics, or uh, surprising news flow for the virus. Do we need anything like that to uh, keep that bubble popping? Or is the math that you were describing that just rarity of break in the norm for valuations, was it just a matter of time? It was just a matter of time. The uh, bubbles burst. Um, the original tech bubble in 2000, the 10 most, uh, most valuable tech companies um, in terms of market capitalization, how many of them outperformed over the next 10 years? Yeah, very Zero. True. Zero. <laughs> uh, people point to um, Amazon, which has outperformed over the last 20 years, and Apple, which has, and uh, Microsoft, which has. Right. But over the 10 years after the bubble burst, yeah, big all gap. three of them underperformed. Rob, right now, are there companies that um, are publicly traded that will that will disappear or go down to levels? Because there are obviously tons of companies around the ones that did survive that you just mentioned that disappeared. Uh, the ones that did survive, uh, many were right at the time saying they were changing the world. I hear the same thing about companies today that are down 60, 70 or 50 percent. People say, well, they're changing the world. And well, so did Microsoft and Amazon, but they went down 80 percent. Um, so yeah, should we use yeah. that as our benchmark for kind of where we're at in this thing? Because that would suggest that we're kind of just in the meat of it. I think we're in the meat of it. Um, the I'm a huge fan of tech. I'm a huge fan of innovation. I'm a huge fan of disruption. I'm not a huge fan of buying those stocks when they're priced at levels that reflect astronomical growth expectations. Uh, I debated Kathy Wood at the big Morningstar event last fall. And... Um, I said to her, a bubble is an asset where you'd have to use implausible growth assumptions to justify the current price. 
what are the assumptions that would justify your $3,000 target for Tesla? And she said, well, the business is going to grow 89% a year for the next five years, and then it'll be priced parapassu with today's FANG stocks. Well, the problem with that math is 89% a year for five years is 25-fold growth. She was saying the company would be 25 times larger in five years. Amazon is 14 times larger in the last 12 years. Wow. Yeah. Amazon's growth has been stupendous. So she was projecting twice as much growth as Amazon in half as many years. Hmm. Uh, Not plausible. Rob, uh, the performance this year of just looking at a basic value versus growth uh, uh, benchmark index for the spider ETFs, their value uh, index is down 5% on the year. Growth is down 17%. Clearly, you'd rather be in value. But will the value trade be one of losing less or will it be about actually making money? So far, it looks like it's about losing less. Well, in a bear market or a correction as this so far is, uh, losing less is still a win. Uh, Unless you know the market's direction going forward, uh, the relative performance is still a good thing. But I would also note that the U.S. is itself rather expensive. So you have, I like to use the Schiller P.E. ratio, price relative to 10-year smoothed earnings. S&P 500, the Schiller P.E. ratio is 35 and change. That means 35 times the 10-year average earnings. That's huge. And you look at Europe, it's uh, half off. You look at emerging markets, 60% off relative to the US. You look at emerging markets value stocks and they're priced um, at a level of less than 10 times earnings. Mm. I'd much rather pay less than 10 times earnings than 35 times earnings. When it comes to strategies, uh, the uh, all asset authority funds at PIMCO that you help manage, uh, you have an interesting uh, uh, chart I want to bring up that shows the performance of both these funds uh, uh, relative to a 60-40 portfolio and then the third pillar portfolio, the 60-40 classic portfolio. Many know there its relative performance of each of these funds in the blue. And these are during periods of high market volatility. You describe it as the top quintile periods of cross-sectional volatility. Walk me through how you measure that. And so what we know is the regime to be in these funds. Uh, You can measure volatility in terms of either S&P volatility, the VIX, or in terms of dispersion of returns among multiple asset classes, we use the latter. So how wide is the dispersion? And when the dispersion is unusually wide, that means you've got a turbulent market, not just US stocks, but a turbulent global market. Well, we've had that. What we find is that um, we soundly beat classic 60-40 investing during turbulent times. Volatility can be our friend if we're willing to respond in a contrarian fashion, which means if you like the asset before it got clobbered, Mm -hmm. buy a little more. Mm -hmm. And most people don't have the spine to do that, but if you have a um, model-based process that gives you the confidence to step to the plate and buy some more when something's been hammered, uh, you can earn a rebalancing premium that's the source of incremental return. Mm -hmm. And so, Rob, the market until we reached that turning point was so skewed away from those companies that had been getting left behind the value trades. 
there is, I would guess, a pretty long time horizon you're expecting for this particular value regime to last. Any thoughts on what kind of time frame we're looking at? Is this a trade that lasts a couple of years, a decade? Oh, I, I, I would never project a decade, but I do think there's a good chance that value wins, not relentlessly, it'll win, then lose, win, then lose. But over a half dozen years would be unsurprising. After the tech bubble of 2000, value beat growth uh, pretty relentlessly for the next seven years. And then all of a sudden, everybody was piling into value when it was no longer cheap. Mm. Um, okay, well, that's a mistake. Rob, always a great uh, guest to have here on the show. I appreciate you joining us here. Have a great weekend. Looking forward to next time. You too. All the best. Thank you very much, Rob Barnott, founder and chairman of the board at Research Affiliates. Looking for a lasting rotation that's been underway with value, beating the heck out of growth year to date.